Please turn in your Bibles now to our scripture reading for today. It is found in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. It is also found on page 11 in your worship guide. And uh, if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And as you do so, know that though the grass withers, the flower fades, even the life of man is but a vapor. The word of our God stands forever. Romans 5, 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dan. I believe if we are going to understand the argument that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 5, we have to go back to the beginning, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, If Genesis 1 through 3 is not true, then Romans 5 makes no sense. So go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we see that God created the world and everything in it, including mankind. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In Genesis Genesis chapter 2, we have uh, more detail about the creation of man and woman. God created the first man from the dust of the ground, and he called him the man, or Adam. This was a true historical man. God made a garden, a beautiful garden home for him, called Eden, and he gave him that one command, verse 16, We heard it earlier. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Uh, 
So God placed Adam in the garden and said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden but one. And theologians refer to this as either the covenant of works or the covenant of life. Sometimes the covenant of works with the emphasis on the condition that was required, that condition of personal and perfect obedience. And sometimes they refer to it as the covenant of life, the emphasis on that promise that was given. Life promised upon the condition of obedience. In Genesis chapter 3, we see what Adam did in response. Adam, as our representative, as our covenant head, failed. Verse 6 tells us, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to be To make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her to Adam and he ate. So we go back to the beginning and we see that Adam, the created man, did not obey God's command. He transgressed God's law. He sinned and he brought God's curse, his punishment upon not only himself, but upon all creation, including all people who would come after him. Adam was guilty. And all, everyone who comes after him is guilty as well. And now we're starting to get into what Paul is teaching here in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 tells us what's wrong with the world. It tells us what's wrong with us. We might ask, is it racism? Is it systemic injustice? Is my biggest problem all the ways that I may have been mistreated or discriminated against. And the Bible's answer to that question is no. All of those things are wrong. Racism, injustice, discrimination, they're wrong and they do cause problems. But while all of them are wrong, we can name them as sin. Not everyone sins in those particular ways. And none of those are the ultimate cause of all problems. None of them get to the root of what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with us. Romans 5 is indeed foundational to the Christian faith, to a biblical understanding of the natural human condition, the universal human condition and problem, and also for our understanding of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. In Romans 5, we see that everyone is either in Adam or in Jesus. Either Adam is your representative or Jesus is. Either God is against you or God is for you. There is death in Adam and there is life in Christ. Paul makes this contrast between Adam and Jesus, between what we naturally inherit from Adam and what we can receive as a free gift through Jesus Christ. And Paul summarizes the main point of this passage in verse 18. He writes, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Here's how another pastor summarized it. He said of verse 18, Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one, pa- just as one person did it wrong, and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. Beloved, what we 
freely receive as a gift from Jesus Christ is far better than what we inherit through Adam. That's what we want to remember today. What we freely inherit as a gift through Jesus Christ is far better than what we inherit from Adam. Today I want to look at the text once again and we see what the two heads of the human race bring. What you have if you are in Adam and what you have if you are in Jesus. And this is going to be a two-part sermon. I don't have time to cover everything today. So we'll focus mostly on what we have in Adam, though I don't want to leave you there, so we certainly will touch on what we have in Christ. And then, Lord willing, we'll come back next week and continue this passage. But we begin with this, what you have if you are in Adam. If you are in Adam, apart from Christ, in your life, sin reigns in death. That's the reality. Sin reigns in death. Look at verse 12 again. Paul begins this section. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin came into the world through that one man, through Adam. His sin brought death, and that death spreads to all people, all men and women. It spreads, it spreads to all humankind because all sinned. So we might ask, well, what does that mean, all sinned? And if we want to answer that, we, we step back from that one question and begin by saying, well, what is sin? What do we mean by sin? Our Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, has a simple answer to that question. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And sometimes we share a simpler definition where we say that sin is anything that we think or say or do that does not please God. And we added that little phrase, and it all starts right here in our hearts. And we can also add another little phrase, it all starts right here in our heart because Adam took that fruit and ate. That's the root of it. So all Sin. What does it mean that all sinned? Well, in the covenant of works or the covenant of life, Adam was our covenant head. He was our federal head, our representative, our team captain, you might say. So most of us can understand, maybe you have seen this happen before, before a football game such as the Super Bowl. If you watch it early enough, you can see the team captains meet at the middle of the field and one person represents the entire team and calls either heads or tails when they flip the coin. So that one person calls heads, and that is for the entire team. And the outcome affects the entire team. Or think of it another way in the realm of sports. When one player on the team breaks the rules or commits a penalty or a foul, the whole team suffers for it. Or think of a president or the leader of a country. If he declares war... The entire nation is at war. What the president does, the nation does. So there are many ways in life where we can see this concept at play, how one person stands for or represents or acts on behalf of others. Adam did this for the entire human race. Our catechism asks this question, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And this is the summary answer from the word of God. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, for those who would come after him, all mankind 
descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Paul says it this way. Sin came into the world through one man and death spread to all men and women because all sinned. So when Adam sinned, you sinned. And everyone is now born a sinner. This is what theologians refer to as original sin. Original sin. Many of us may be familiar with that African-American spiritual, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I don't know that there is another one written in that vein, but if there isn't, there could be one that asks the question, were you there in the garden? Were you there when Adam ate the fruit? And the answer is, you were. You sinned in him, and so you are born with a sin nature, such that you sin because you are a sinner. So our problem is not so much the personal individual sins that we commit, though that is a problem. They do bring God's judgment. But the the root problem, the same for everyone, is the sin nature that we're born with. The sin, the death that we inherit from Adam. So as we look at this, as we consider this, what do we learn about sin? One thing we learn is that sin always impacts others. It always impacts others. It never remains private. That's a lie the devil will use to deceive you. Or that we may tell ourselves that my private actions don't impact anyone else. That's not true. Friends, sin never remains private. Whether it may be pornography or abuse of alcohol or drugs or gambling or gluttony or wasting time, whatever it may be, it always ends up hurting both you and others. And the biggest example we have of this is Adam. His sin did not only affect him. Now there's good news in the midst of this bad news. If you're, if you're feeling weighed down by the weight of your sin and how it hurts others, the good news is that Jesus can more than atone for our sins. He can more than make up for all the hurt that we have caused. For not only can we be forgiven by Jesus through Jesus, but Jesus alone can also bring healing and grace to those who've been hurt by our sin as well. And beloved, this is not an encouragement to sin, but it's comfort, it's hope for those of us who have sinned already. We know there are ways we cannot make up for the wrongs that we have done, but we know that Jesus can. Jesus can bring the healing and the peace and the shalom that we need, and he will ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. So what we have in Adam is sin. We sinned in him, And we inherit a sin nature, and this sin reigns in death. This death, both physical and spiritual death, is the result of sin. That means it's not natural. It's not natural. It only exists because Adam sinned. This is why everyone dies. Because of sin. And only because of sin. This is why every person will ever die. Not only because of sin in general, but because Adam sinned. 
Paul drives this point home in verse 13 and verse 14. He says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So what's Paul saying? He's saying there was this whole group of people that lived from the time between Adam and Moses, a period of about 2,500 years. And all of those people in between, they did not sin in the same way that Adam did. Why? Because the law, the Ten Commandments, were not given until Moses. So in that in-between time, from Adam to Moses, yes, sin was in the world. The law of God was written on the human heart, and all mankind still transgressed that law on the heart, but they did not have specific direct disobedience to a written law. They didn't have explicit transgression like Adam did. So they didn't sin in the same way as Adam. And yet, those people all still died. Death reigned. Why? Because death came into the world and spread to all people through the sin of Adam. What he did applies to us. So every time someone physically dies, if you ask why, if you go down deep to the root cause, the answer will always be the same. Because Adam sinned. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all man. So why do we die? Why have more than 45,000 people died in that earthquake in Turkey. Why did three people die in that recent shooting at Michigan State University? Why did my dad die from Lewy body dementia? Why did our beloved brother and church member Mark Miller die in a car accident during COVID? Whether it's natural disaster or evil, senseless violence or a disease or a sudden tragic accident beneath them all, the same root cause, Adam's sin. Adam sinned and he brought the curse of death to all who follow. Now that is true, but there is also a big difference for those who die in Christ. There is a big difference for what death means and why it even comes for those who are in Christ. The Westminster Larger larger Catechism asks that question. It says, death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ? You see what it's asking? If, If death comes from Adam and Christ has forgiven us, why do we still die? And here's the answer. The righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day. Amen? It's a good start. And even, de- and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. There's a huge difference between the death of an unbeliever and the death of one who is in Christ. Now, we could also say that every time a believer dies, Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is answered. 
Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. What's Jesus praying? What does he want? He wants you with him in paradise. He wants that more than you even want to be there. He wants you with him in paradise. So when a loved one in Christ dies, we mourn the loss. We who are left behind suffer the grief and the sorrow of that loss. And Jesus does mourn and weep with us for our pain and our sorrow. But Jesus also rejoices. He rejoices that another one of God's children has been brought home. And our loved one in Christ rejoices with Jesus. I was thinking about this and I wondered if it's a little bit like what my wife Amy does now. So we have, we have six children and none, none of them live with us anymore. We're in the early stages of being the, the empty nest parents. So sometimes when any number of the kids may be home, whether it's anywhere from one to five, they're home and, and she'll look over at me and she, you know, she has this heart for her children. And she'll say, if there's two kids home, my heart is two-sixths full. Or maybe there's four. And she'll just look at me and say, four-sixths. And I know what she means. And I think that's a small picture of what it's like for Jesus and glory. Every time he receives another saint home into glory, we could say, in a sense, that his heart is more full. His, his joy increases. Now we could talk theologically, what does that actually mean? But the point is, Jesus rejoices when his children are with him in glory. For those in Christ, we have great hope and comfort in the midst of death. And what Christ does for us is far greater than what Adam has done. Adam brought the curse of death to all. Jesus brings the gift of eternal life to those who trust in him. And Adam, condemnation and death reign over all because of the one sin of the one man, Adam, our representative. That's the main point Paul is making about our death in Adam. He says it five times in this passage. Five times in verses 15 through 19. So verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned over through, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And then fifth, verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. He says it over and over and over again. He's hammering home this point. All people are guilty. They are under the condemnation of God, under the sentence of death, because of the one sin of the one man. Now, not all people die physically because they actually and voluntarily sin. It doesn't take long for children to willfully sin to transgress God's law. You don't have to teach young children how to lie or how to disobey. They will do it on their own very early in their lives. They're naturals. They quickly show the nature they have inherited from Adam. But not all children are even given that opportunity. What about children who die 
in infancy? What about all those babies who have been aborted? 600,000 in the U.S. in 2020. Did those children sin in the way that Adam did? Did they transgress the law of God? No. Children who were aborted did not sin in the same way as Adam. Their parents sinned in aborting them. The doctors sinned. People who counseled them to choose that course of action sinned, violating a direct command of God, you shall not murder. And I don't say that to be harsh or to be insensitive. I imagine that in a room with this many people of it, some of you have been impacted deeply by this sin in some way, but I say that to proclaim the truth of God's word. For the honor and glory of God to defend the most vulnerable and to teach and disciple you in the faith as children of God that this may help you, that you may help others and also potentially for your own healing. Because if you are guilty of this sin in some way, you need forgiveness and healing. And that can only come from Christ. That comes as you are made aware of your sin and your need, as you trust in the shed blood of Christ alone to cleanse you. Only Jesus can remove your guilt and your shame. Only Jesus can forgive you and heal your soul. I want to say another word of comfort to those today who may mourn the loss of a child. Perhaps not through abortion, maybe through an unknown cause, maybe through a miscarriage, or, or maybe you wonder about those who may be mentally unable to respond to the gospel. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who works when and where and how he pleases. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Beloved, I believe that those in Christ have great cause for hope and for assurance that their children who have died in infancy are with Christ. That we can trust the grace of our loving Heavenly Father and the one place in Scripture that seems to address the issue points us to this assurance. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, when King David's infant child died, he was comforted. He had hope with the assurance that he would go to his child. And when he said that, he could not simply mean that he would also die. There's no comfort in that. But that he believed he would be reunited with his child in glory with Jesus. King David, one of our fathers in the faith, he had that comfort, that trust in God, and I believe Christians can have that same hope and comfort and assurance today. Death is an awful enemy. It's not natural. It comes to us through Adam, the first man who sinned against God. If you are in Adam, apart from Christ, in your life, sin reigns in death. Sin reigns in death. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't simply mean that you are going to die. Yes, it does mean that. But what it means is you do not have and you cannot enjoy communion with the triune God. You do not know God. He is your judge. You're under his wrath and his curse. You are under the condemnation of physical death, the miseries of this life, and the pains of hell forever. 
This is true of everyone from birth. But it, does, but it does not have to stay that way. That is true of you from birth, but it does not have to remain true of you. See, the entire human race is dealt with before God according to what Adam did. And the result of that judgment is sin and death and condemnation. That is really bad news. It's truly bad news for everyone. But it's not the only news. It's not the end of God's judgment. The good news is Adam is a type. He's a prototype. That means Paul's saying there's another one who came after Adam who does in a similar, similar way what Adam does, only much better for us. Verse 14, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam who got us into this sin and death and judgment, he also points ahead to the only one who's able to get us out of it. Adam is a pattern of Christ. Christ is the one who was to come. So both Adam on the one hand and Christ on the other hand, they are both covenant heads, federal heads of a humanity. They are representatives. So that is the the merits of what they do. What they have earned, what they have done, are transferred to others. So Paul says, every one of us, every man, woman, boy, and child, we were in Adam. But he's writing this to believers. He's writing this to the saints at Rome, to those who had been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. And he's writing it, it still speaks to us today, in this very moment, in this very room, to all of you who have trusted in Jesus. He's writing to say to you, you're no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. And if Adam could have this kind of far-reaching impact, how much more could Jesus God himself in the flesh sent to save his people from their sins to bear the curse of Adam's sin in our place and replace it with the Lord's blessing. Now, Lord willing, we'll consider that in much more detail next week. But again, we can't just stay in Adam even this week. So I'll give you a brief summary of what you have if you are in Jesus Christ. What you have if you are in Christ The grace of God abounds in your life. For those in Adam, sin reigns in death. That's their reality. For those in Christ, the grace of God abounds in your life. That is your reality. You have justification, no sin in your account before God. The perfect righteousness of Jesus in your account before God. You have the free gift of righteousness. Everyone. Everyone you've ever seen, ever known, everyone who's ever lived is either in Adam or in Christ. Either united to Adam in death or united to Christ in life. Paul says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So in Adam, death reigns. That's what this connection to Adam means. So that if you're in Adam right now, even if you could live a sinless life, you would still die physically. And you would still suffer God's judgment of condemnation and eternal death because of Adam's sin. 
No matter how good you may be, you cannot sever. You were dead in sin. You were welded to Adam. And the only way that you can ever be severed from that union is if God himself, almighty God, intervenes. He has to come to you and make you alive when you are dead and remove you from your connection with Adam and place you in new union with Jesus Christ. And when he does that, you are united to Christ forever. Now you may think it's not fair for you to die, to be under the sentence of death and condemnation because of the sin of another, even though you yourself do sin. But you might think, how can that be fair? But listen, friend and beloved, this is actually very good news for you. Because Paul is saying the opposite is true as well. The opposite is true as well. In fact, the opposite is much more true or much more good news. That is, if you are now in Christ, if you're now united to Christ, even if you live a life full of sin now, You will still stand justified in God's judgment and you will receive the free gift of righteousness and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you are in Christ now, no matter how bad you may be, you can never sever your connection to Christ and you will live because of his righteousness. And it's all because of Jesus. You now get to live and enjoy righteousness and eternal life the love and favor of God, all because, not because of you or your righteousness, but all because of the righteousness of another. Because you're now united to Jesus. You are in Christ instead of in Adam. And if God has brought you into union with his own son, Jesus, nothing in all the world can ever sever that union. And my friends, this is the hope of the world. This is the solution to what's wrong with the world, to what's wrong with us, to what's wrong with me. This is my only hope, and this is your only hope. Beloved, is your hope in the Lord today? If it is, then sin no longer reigns in your life. Grace reigns through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the best news you've ever heard. Amen. Amen.